Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is Nick Peters and Jonathan Pritchett. And we are glad that you are here today. And Nick, we are excited that you are with us, the Nick Peters. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so uh, we wanted to go ahead and let you open up by maybe telling us a little bit about you and I. You and I have been friends. In fact, you initially contacted me several years ago when I released a book called Core Facts, and we did a discussion about that on your show. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is great because I'm finally getting the opportunity mm-hmm. to repay the favor. So uh, tell us, Nick, uh, what who you are, what you do, and any uh, resources that you want to plug. Well, first off, Braxton, thanks for having me on. I would like to go ahead and clear something up also about me because there was a lot of confusion in this area about me. So I want to go ahead and set the record straight and let everyone know that I affirm the virgin birth. <laughs> so now that now that we know that I affirm the virgin birth, we can go on ahead. Which we um, also affirm. Yes. I'm pleased to hear that you affirm the virgin birth, which I do affirm. <clears throat> that my... My work is with my own ministry, Deeper Waters Apologetics. I've just recently started a YouTube channel trying to learn how to do YouTube. I've just, uh, I do blogging. I've been doing blogging for maybe mm, 15 or so years. Um, do a podcast, like you said, getting the best callers out there and others in the field and Braxton on my show. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Notice I haven't been invited, by the way. <laughs> if that says anything. <laughs> we, we can work on that. Yeah. And, um, and let's see, I do work with the Minchina Bars, as well. We're a small group of lesser known apologists out there that are considered to be worth a mention still. And. I live in the Atlanta area, been married nearly 10 years. Um, the only child we have is a fur baby kitty named Shiro. <laughs> um, as we know, we'll be discussing today, I'm on the autism spectrum. And I'm, I'm a gamer as well. I love doing my games. And I tell you, it is a sacrifice right now in this interview because... I've got the Final Fantasy VII Remake sitting in my PlayStation right now, and I'm still doing this interview. So don't tell me I'm not dedicated to the cause. <laughs> that's right. Go. That's right. Well, on that note, Nick, um, I, after I get done with my day here in quarantine, which we are still working full days, isn't that right, Dr. Jonathan Pritchett? Oh, yeah. And uh, after, after I get done with my day, I've been playing Jedi Fallen Order on xbox one so it looks like we are on opposite sides of the console uh wars that are going on nick well with this whole quarantine going on we i live in a world now where professional sports isn't going on that people are told to just stay indoors when you go out in public you have to avoid any human contact stay six feet away from one another it's it, it, it's kind of a, the thing we've always hoped for in some ways <laughs> Oh man, that's fantastic! Wow. Uh, yeah, so Nick, I, I mean, of go course, ahead. I, I think we need to be getting back to work and things like this. But on the humorous side, those kinds of things going on, yeah, I could live with that. Yeah, I can live with it too, actually. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Nick, I, I first—I don't know if you remember—you uh, won't remember this, but we actually used to talk a lot, and we always agreed 
on a lot of things back on the old theology web. My handle was trusty. And mm. so I think that's where oh, I, yeah. that's where I first uh, got to know who you were was mm. uh, following you and JP holding and all those yeah. guys you posted up. I guess this was what in the early to mid two thousands or whatever. Yeah. I'm still active on theology web. I have my own section there and, um, right next to JP and the university, and if you'll check Amazon, he and I have some ebooks we've written together. Famously, yeah, I, I, famously, yeah, you wrote, wrote a book on inerrancy. Yeah, I wrote two a book. books on inerrancy. Yeah, I think I had published a review on defining inerrancy mm -hmm. um, back in 2014. Um, yeah, yeah I, I remember when the that whole debate kind of took off in 2010. Uh, oh, yes. I, uh, that was kind of a mess, and uh, I think it's still a mess. So, oh yes, people are still sorting all that out. I, I really did enjoy that book. Um, I, to be honest, I never read Geisler's book, but but I did read yours. So mm -hmm. uh, I guess I got the gist of of, of Geisler from all of his uh, his posts. But yeah, I remember all that. But Theology Web, I didn't even know that that was still active. I'll have to go check that out and see what's because I, mm -hmm. I don't hear you don't hear much from Tecton. Uh, and JP holding anymore, uh, or at least I haven't heard much. I don't even know what he's up to these days. He's doing YouTube videos too. I think he's kind of dialing back a bit with other things, which is just fine. He's got his own things he has to be doing, but he's right. still pretty active. Oh, well, that's good to hear. All right. So, Nick, you mentioned already that um, you are. That I affirm the virgin birth. That you yes. affirm the virgin birth. That's right. And <laughs> which we do affirm. Um, hey, for, for a second, because our viewers don't know what that's about, um, uh, I, I could I could try to explain it, but but I think you lived it. So tell our yeah. audience what that's about. I was with a friend once in a friendly, unbelievable Facebook group, and someone was going on about the silence of Paul with not mentioning the virgin birth. And he's like, don't you think he would have mentioned it if he believed in it? And I tried to explain that this is part of a high-context society, that Paul's letters were episodal letters. They weren't written to teach doctrines like that. They were meant to deal with issues at hand. I mean, if a doctrine related to that, then great, but if not, oh well. So you're not going to find the life of Jesus being <clears throat> written about, per se, in the letters. But then I just said, look, we live, we, we both are Christians, me and my friend here, and we have pastors that come out every single Sunday to do a sermon, and they don't get up and say that they affirm the virgin birth every mm -hmm. time. So we start doing that every single post we <laughs> made. And for me, a joke is just as funny the 10,000th time as it is for first. And I thought, why well, stop this? So we took it out, and now we pretty much got a whole movement going. I mean, I had a scholar, <clears throat> very well-known scholar, emailed me a few days ago, wanted to make sure about my P.O. box so he could send me a book he's got. And he said, uh, this one's about Acts, but it, it doesn't mention anywhere for virgin birth, but I do affirm it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, it's one of those, go ahead. Well, N.T. Wright had once remarked uh, when he was in the middle of a lot of uh, different de theological debates surrounding uh, justification, he, he had mentioned that and a lot of these debates and discussions, whether they're with other Christians or whoever, uh, if you don't say everything you believe 
every mm-hmm. single time you speak, someone's going to think you either don't believe it or don't care about it. And, yeah. and th- that's ridiculous, but that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of what you have to put up with because if you don't say it, mm-hmm. they're not going to, people aren't going to assume the best about you. They're going to assume the worst and try to exploit something you never said. So, so mm-hmm. 2000 years, kind of like out- 2000 years from now, someone looks back on the works of Nick Peters and his um, internet history, they will know without question that he affirmed the virgin birth. Yeah, this is kind of our counter to dumb ideas like Jesus mythicism and other things like that. Yeah. And except this one, I think, actually has some traction because it makes the, the whole point on how silence really is not effective and does it in a very humorous way. Yeah. So, Nick, um, you do affirm the virgin birth and yeah. you are on the autism spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, what you actually suggested this as a show topic. Um, mm-hmm. And I want the audience to know that. And it's something that you, I, I, I'm, I guess, are passionate about. And mm-hmm. so um, th- this well, raises and- a lot of questions. This raises questions yeah. about um, how, how do you you know, the problem of evil? Why would God Mm -hmm. allow for something like autism? Are there good things that result from autism? All kinds of things. What's it like Mm -hmm. to be a Christian apologist and author and be autistic? Mm -hmm. So um, why don't you open us up a little bit into that direction? Well, April is National Autism Awareness Month. And one of the first things I try and get with people is... That, you know, we, we often assume that, <clears throat> I came on Justin Browley's show, Unbelievable, once after the Haiti earthquake, to talk about the problem of evil. I was brought on kind of like a last minute guest, and Justin's a great guy, and he said to me, so Nick, what's it like for you, you know, being someone on the, the spectrum, you know, suffers with autism? And I said, Justin, let me make something clear here about the start, okay? I don't suffer with autism. Suffering is a choice. I live my life every day. I have suffering in it just like everyone else does. I have things that trouble me that I don't like and all these other things, but I don't live like I have a death sentence hanging over my head because of a condition I have. When I was in Bible college, I made a really good friend named Paul Verikers. He found out I had an interest in apologetics when I started making a point in class and I started quoting Ravi Zacharias to back my point. And he told me about the National Conference on Apologetics and about SES. First, I'd ever heard anything about this. And then he... He wanted me to go to a conference, so my parents wanted to make sure things were okay. Talked with him first, and he talked some about autism and things like that. And But from that point on, it was like a lifetime friendship. He's still a very good friend of mine here. And a few years ago, he calls me because, of all things, they found out that his firstborn son is on the spectrum. Mm. And he wanted to know what I thought. Now, keep in mind, I don't say this to brag about myself, but because it's truth, it's better. Everyone else, when he told me, they treated it like he said, hey, my son has cancer or something of that sort. My first response was, I suggest you get on your knees and thank God 
right now because now you are going to get to see the world for a whole new set of eyes wow. you hadn't seen it through before. You are going to see the world through the eyes of an Aspie. It is going to require that you think different and live different, but that will stretch you and make you grow, and you will be a better person for it. Love your son. Give thanks for him. Celebrate him. Things of that sort. One of the first things you have to realize is, and, and I say this knowing there are some people on the spectrum who are non-verbal and far less capable of functioning than I am, and I get that. But something I've noticed about many people that are disabled, they are usually beacons of joy and happiness. Anyways, I mean, talk about people with, say, Down syndrome or other conditions. They can sometimes be some of the happiest people you meet. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a really good point. My wife and I, when we hear about the idea of people um, selectively choosing to abort because of mm, the chance gosh. of that, um, it breaks our heart because mm -hmm. w my wife was actually went to college for um, uh, early education with special needs kids. And mm -hmm. so she spent a lot of time with special needs kids. And of course, in ministry life, that happens. And she, mm -hmm. we've just always been blown away. Now, my wife feels more deeply than I do. I said this oh, recently, yeah. but like if I hear that there's a, um, that there was a school bus that went into a pond and a child died in Russia yesterday and it's on the news, you know, she, I'll, I'll think, man, that's terrible. And then I move on with my day, but she, it, she's over there crying. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. when she meets and thinks about these these children that have um, Down syndrome or something or certain forms of autism, it she thinks, why in the world would someone not want to love this child and and uh, and all that sort of thing? Because you're right. They are so filled with joy. Mm -hmm. That's a really great point. Mm -hmm. And people that don't recognize that, mm -hmm. I guess, haven't spent enough time around people that deal with those things. Yeah, I think it's just awful when you hear about someone like, say, Peter Singer, who wants to just go ahead and abort these children as if saying their lives, their lives aren't worth living. And you want know, to say, look, no one has a right to tell me outside me that my life is not worth living. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, well, well go I have a question about how you first got into apologetics, because you've, you've been... Uh, you've been doing this for, mm -hmm. I don't know, 20 some odd years now, maybe, or mm -hmm. maybe a little less. So, so, uh, what, what first got your interest into uh, apologetics and, and biblical studies? Uh, I know that you're, you're really into that as well. So, well, well, before we get to that point, since this is about autism awareness month and that's included in my story, why don't I just start with the beginning of my own story sure. and we'll get to apologetics from that, is that when, when I was a young child, my parents early on knew there was something different about me, something about the way I was interacting. It didn't seem, quote, unquote, normal. And they also knew that for a young child, I was really smart. My parents tell me I had taught myself to read when I was a year old. And I had this fascination, apparently, with this big Bible we had at our house. In fact, I think I've got it right here in my office. And so when 
they'd see me, I'd be, you know, going over the book, just looking over they thought that I was just fascinated with the shapes of the letters and things like that. And so uh, one day, apparently, I asked them about a word I didn't know. And I said, oh, that word is chapter. Because this Bible had it that when a new chapter began, say chapter one, chapter two, on and on and on. And sometime later, my dad took me to a department store and he sat me in front of a computer and went off to play some video game or something while I was there. Now, if anything is still like today, my dad's video games don't last very long. <laughs> and when he came back, I was still have a computer, but so was a small crowd there. And <clears throat> he uh, looked on the screen, and there on the screen were all the books of the Bible spelled correctly, in correct order, with how many chapters they had. I asked, did, did your son do this? I don't know. And clear the screen and said, okay, son, do it again. And apparently I did it again. That should tell you something's not normal here. <laughs> right. And when when I was in school, I didn't follow normal social cues with anyone else. My diet was extremely finicky, extremely finicky, still is to this day. And my parents didn't know what to do. I was in accelerated math from first grade on. And you ask anyone who knows me, I do math extremely well in my head. Wow. And so my parents kept taking me to this center for what's called birth defects, a term I hate today, but what are you going to do? And well, around fifth grade, it was said that I had autism. Now, at that time, that diagnosis didn't mean much to me. I didn't know what it meant, but it explained a lot of things. Now, when I was around elementary school, early middle school, at my parents' church, I was either the only one in Sunday school or the only boy in there. Now, a few years later, I'd probably cheer up being the only boy in there, but <laughs> at that point... I didn't care for it. And me and my friends went to the church across the street, Baptist church. I said, I want to go there so I can be with friends. And my parents let me go. And it was at that church that during a service, I, I first heard the whole gospel there. And so I thought, hey, this sounds like a pretty good deal. And I went with it. <laughs> now, somehow, throughout all my life, reading the Bible had always been something I'd done. Back when we first got on the, inter got the internet at our house, I thought I'd probably want to go on and talk about video games, <laughs> which I did profusely. But no, I found myself going to Christian groups. I couldn't explain it, but that's where I went. And then going on there in high school, school I entered a time of deep depression and darkness, mentally, emotionally, psychologically everything. I mean, didn't know what I was doing, wasn't sure about my salvation constantly. And when I graduated, the only thing I could do 
where flourishing was the Bible. And my parents went through voc rehab so I, I could get my education covered. And I told them, I want to go to Bible college. I want to be a pastor. Now, today, I think I'd probably suck as a pastor overall. But back then, <laughs> that's all I knew to do. And you, you know, if you're going into ministry where you become a pastor, that's what you do. And I, I still laughed to this day. And I said, uh, they said, we think you should consider something like engineering or something. No offense to engineers, but it's just not what I wanted to do. He said, because we, we just don't think you're going to be very good at public speaking. <laughs> yes, they actually said that. But now, wait a minute, Nick. When, but before you go on, the audience should know yeah. that not only have you done a fair amount of public speaking, but you actually had a live public debate with one of the world's leading atheist popularizers, Dan Barker, a debate which you yep. clearly won uh, on the back mm -hmm. of your public speaking and incredible knowledge. So I just wanted to mm -hmm. throw that in there. That's a good point in yeah. the story to mention it. Mm -hmm. And when I was in Bible college and my senior year came around, you got to do these things called senior sermons. And that's when a senior gets up and does the whole service. And so what happened was I got to get up and speak to all the student body that was present and all the professors that were present. That would probably be about, oh, a thousand people. Mm. And sometimes I come back to the college even a year later or so, and people would still say, boy, that was a great message that you gave that time. <laughs> and I mean, usually if you give a message, people forget about it Heck, most people forget their Sunday sermon, I think, within an hour or so, if that long. This one, I was getting compliments still weeks later mm -hmm. about it. So to get back, and he said, yeah, you're not going to be good at public speaking, <laughs> which is kind of amusing because I'd much rather do public speaking than one-on-one -on -one private speaking, mm -hmm. really. And I went to Bible college anyway, though. And while I was there, I'd also been on the internet and seeing all these people that were atheists coming in the chat rooms. I had nothing to say. Didn't know how to respond to them. And one day, I was in the lobby of the, uh, the, the Bible college, and so, I was doing, for some reason, I just went up and talked to him and asked, what are you studying? Apologetics. What's that? I had never heard the term mm -hmm. before, which I consider quite sad because here I've been an intellectual all my life in the church, and no one ever told me hey, here's how you can use your intellect for the glory of God this way. No one. And you've been uh, at Bible college for four years and never heard it. That's, that's No, strange. I hadn't been there for four years yet. This oh, was like oh. my first year or so. Oh, okay. So, I, I mean, I was just still a newbie there. Oh, okay. And they, they told me what it was. And I kind of followed them back in my mind. But then these atheists keep coming into these chat rooms like, I need to learn something here. The first book I read was someone recommended I read More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell, which was really good. But then I remember someone told me once about this book by this journalist who used to be an atheist and set out to disprove Christianity and ended up becoming a Christian. And it was called The Case for Christ, and his name was Lee Strobel. I went and bought that book, and I referred to that book as the book that lit my fire. Mm -hmm. And... I was going on from that day forward. I mean, my mother would start panicking every time I went to the bookstore because I'd come home with more and more books. 
and just reading everything I could get my hands on and doing so much. So I went, by the time I got to Southern Evangelical Seminary, eventually, I was way ahead of my class, I think, because I've been studying these things for years. I mean, you go to a class on, I actually had to take a class on general apologetics. Six books we were assigned. I'd already read five of them on my own. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And, and I should also mention that before I went to <clears throat> seminary, since my mother was very concerned about things, since I'm on the spectrum, my parents didn't know where I could handle I moved into an apartment first in Tennessee, about 20 minutes or so away from my parents to show I could live on my own. And I tell people of the discussion process of how I brought about sharing this idea with my folks and getting approval was a very straightforward process. I came home from being out in town one day, uh, sat down, and my parents said, hey, I put money down on an apartment today. That was it. <laughs> I, I, I did things the way I wanted to and there wasn't room for debate at that point because I'd said I want to do this. My parents didn't even know I was looking but I wanted to prove myself <clears throat> and so you know that's kind of how I got into apologetics and then while I was started I also struggled with doubt now being my own worst critic self-doubt Gary Habermas spoke at our church one time. I knew he dealt with doubt, so I said, hey, can I speak with you sometimes about doubt? Because I know he handles phone calls, questions, and email, things like that, about my own self-doubt. He said, sure, you can do that. And so every now and then I'd email him, and he'd give me some encouraging advice. And I had a job at the Christian Research Institute after a while. Oh, wow. And... Uh, on August 10th, 2009, why that date, uh, I remember, you'll find out later. I remember he was coming to the seminary to do a module on the historical Jesus, a week-long class. And I thought, I think I'll just drop by and say hi to him. I haven't seen him in a while. So I stopped by way before class would start, and <clears throat> we're in the lobby together. And he says, hey, Nick, you know who Mike Lacona is? And I say, yeah, you and he wrote a book together on the historical Jesus, and he was here a year or two ago debating Barter and on the resurrection of Jesus. I know who he is. Okay, did you know he has a daughter? No, I didn't know this. Yeah, we were, me and some others back here were talking about him for how she's going through a hard time, <clears throat> which is kind of like autism light apart. And Someone said, well, Nick Peters has Asperger's, and so he said, Nick, maybe you should talk to her some. I said, okay, and he invited me to come up to his class for a bit. I stayed for the first half, but then you, I needed to get back home to my roommate, and I went to him afterwards and said, yeah, about this girl, can I get her email? And he said, <laughs> sure, you can get it, and he said, but Nick, you know what she really wants? A boyfriend. A boyfriend. <laughs> now, I'd gone this route of internet dating before. <laughs> it hadn't worked out well. I didn't want to do it again. So I was going to be on guard this time. And I got in touch with her Allie. Get back in touch with, back together with her a boyfriend. 
And by the way, now I know that that day that I talked to her was actually her 19th birthday. So I talked with her some, and I agree, yeah, I'll help you. I'll be kind of like a mentor figure to you, everything like that. Just help you out through this time and <clears throat> surround her with good women that I knew a lot from PRG Web to help her out. And I was just being a good friend. We were both agreed on this. Just friends, nothing more. Labor Day, we started dating October. I went to meet her. I proposed. Hello? Hey, Nick, we, we lost you for just a minute there. You said Labor Day, you started uh, dating. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Okay. Okay. Labor Day, started dating. I met her in October, went to her house to see her. I proposed to her in December. We were married in July. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Wow. You move fast. Yeah. And to, to what uh, degree? Now, I, I didn't mention the Lycona connection because you're your own apologist. But yes, to I what am. degree was that? You know, I mean, as a guy who's into apologetics and appreciated Gary Habermas, and this is one of Gary Habermas uh, most well-known friends and disciples, I guess you could say. How did that? How, how, what was your thinking about that? It, it was something very interesting. Something Mike told me is the first time he saw me. The way I looked, because I was so non-social and things like that, he thought I was an atheist, actually. <laughs> and then lo and behold, here I show up at his doorstep and say, hey, I'm here to date your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And uh, I said, you know, I thought we'd meet again someday, but I didn't think it'd be under these circumstances. <laughs> and... I didn't really care for apologetics at the time, and I came along, and that changed. I mean, she's able to care, but she's able to accept what I do. So, but yeah, I I try to not really bring up my relation a lot of times because I don't want people to see me in light of that. Yeah, you know, people. Are, People are just going to see, oh, where he's a son-in-law. So now I, I was doing this long before I came across Mike. Well, Nick, um, I, you know, my dad was a megachurch pastor and a well-known evangelist. And uh, so I, I understand completely people thinking of you um, in terms of some relative. Uh, and I can't say I was doing it long before my, but my, I met my father. So, you know, uh, yeah. but, uh, but no, people should know you are your own apologist, your own man mm -hmm. and have your own important contributions. It's just an interesting connection, um, that you have with Mike. Yeah. Mike and I have areas in apologetics. We disagree on areas, even in new Testament study, we disagree on, and sometimes someone might say something negative about him in a debate trying to score points with me. I'm like, look, you're allowed to think that way. I'm, I don't defend everything because Mike says it or Mike believes it. I think he's on some things. I think he's right on some things. Like with the inerrancy debate, I'm not totally sold on Mike's interpretation of Matthew 27, but it doesn't matter to me because it doesn't deny inerrancy as far as I'm concerned. And that's the big issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't agree with everything Braxton says. He doesn't agree with everything I say. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to defend anybody that says anything against his positions. 
But yeah. if if someone were to say something against his character or person, that's where I would jump in and mm-hmm. uh, take right. offense. But I, I don't care if they. It, I, I might even agree with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as long as in his opinion, in his positions, he affirms a virgin birth, which, which I do affirm. Which I also affirm. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> which I affirm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that is a fascinating, fascinating testimony, Nick. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else you wanted to say on that? Mm, I can't really think of anything, but it sounded like Jonathan. Did you have another question for me? Well, um, kind of. See, I, my son, he, he's uh, on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's not, he's not, uh, he's high functioning. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is he's just now getting into apologetics. Um, uh, for, for him, it goes through phases. When he was a kid, it would go from pirates and everything was pirates to mm-hmm. knights. Then, then yeah. everything is knights. And then, you know, you go on to zombies and, and army and 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 as he gets older, uh, there's the fixation on one thing. Oh yes. And he and he's he's come around to apologize. Now, when I say high five, he's also kind of uh, he's quite sociable as well. Um, and it, it's interesting uh, when when uh, Braxton was he's in the youth group at the church, and, and when Braxton was going to. Uh, speak at our youth group they said now i want you to know there's there's this kid who thinks he knows it all and he's going to talk over you and he was like oh you're, you mean noah yeah that's that's jonathan's sign <laughs> but but um but it, it, it's interesting that um if you're on the spectrum even in mild cases how you get fixated on one thing and you're able oh, to yes. focus and dive in now he's fixated on two things he's 17 so it's it's girls and uh, and and apologetics, um, but uh, did you have somebody kind of uh, see? I don't want to. Uh, well, let me ask you this: Is it better to to help direct his interests or let him become interested in what he's interested in? And uh, you know, what do you think is a better approach? Because oh. Definitely let him be interested in what he's interested in, provided it's nothing immoral or improper like that. I mean, if he's <coughs> develops, <coughs> if he develops some fixation, say internet pornography, oh yeah, don't let him be interested in no, that. Yeah, but, but if it's I, but if it's something yeah. good and wholesome, even if you don't get it, let him be interested in it. And the yeah. whole fixation thing <coughs> makes perfect sense to me. <coughs> I mean, I'm. Well, those guys who, aside from some Braves baseball, never got into professional sports <clears throat> at all. Honestly, when we watch the Super Bowl here, there's someone at our house who pays a whole lot of attention to the game and someone who just watches the commercials, and it's yeah. not who you'd think it'd be in a traditional household. <laughs> but I, I understand that the whole fixation thing, because I did the exact same thing, and I still do the exact same thing. When we get interested in a topic... We either have total full-blown obsession with a topic, or right. we just don't care. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> sorry. I've been talking to my dad lately. Something humorous we discussed is that with some certain television shows that if he developed an interest in it first, for whatever reason, and then he got me interested, and I started getting interested in it, before too long, I knew more about the show than he did. And since he grew up right. watching – 
the Adam West Batman series. Now, I think that series is just awesome. Allie looks and says, this is just so cheesy and corny. Like, yeah, that's what makes it <laughs> awesome. Okay. <clears throat> and I, I actually bought the whole series on DVD, and I've watched all of it. And I know more about that series than he does now. And yeah. When, well, I, that... when I was growing up, he was watching Cheers. Now, I know more about that series than he does. But the main one in my life has been Smallville. And when that came oh, yeah. on, that was my <laughs> obsession at the time. I mean, during, I think it was the fourth season premiere, my grandmother called, and I was still living with my folks at the time. And she wanted to talk to my dad, I think. And my mom said, oh, he and Nick are watching their show right now. They're not going to come to the phone. And she said, well, I'm a, tell them I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> and we said, okay, well, um." Call her an ambulance, and we'll be there when the show's <laughs> over, okay? I mean, we, we did that every night <coughs> ever, and this is how obsessed uh, I was with the show, okay? Yeah. You've had this show on for 10 years, yeah, <coughs> 18 episodes, longest of any Superman series ever. I had all of the episode titles memorized in order to go straight through them. I can still tell you so much about every single episode day yeah my son he loves he loves the the save me theme song and we used to have to listen to that all the time because i I would have it on my phone and he would ask me to play it every morning on the way to school i take him to school every day and he wants to hear save me uh because he he was and he was the same way with lord of the rings i had read fellowship of the rings and the hobbit and when he got interested in the movies then he got interested in the books and now he's read uh, you know, he's blowing his way through uh, Christopher Tolkien's uh, stuff that he's put out because he just wants to know all of that lore. And, and, you know, I consider myself a fan, but he's a fanatic, you know, in, yeah, in the real the sense thing of with, the world. The thing with Clark Kent <clears throat> also is uh, John Schneider, who plays Jonathan Kent, said it very well in an interview. He said, in his own way, Clark Kent is a special needs child. That he has to be treated differently from all the other children. And you never really think about that. But when you see Smallville growing up, and I'm thinking, I I can relate to Clark. Wow. He wants to be able to fit in, and yet he feels excluded from everything around him because of his abilities. And his relationship with his dad was so awesome that honestly, the night that Jonathan Kent died in the series, it hit me really hard that night. I remember going to bed and I was just super depressed in my moments and you gonna be okay? I said, Yeah, I will be. Yeah, that That's was the lying, that was the yeah, the one hundredth episode where he was I yep. wasn't he in the barn arguing with Lionel when yep. when he had the heart attack? Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that too. Hey guys, yeah, now, uh did did you and, know and that Braxton it, it, Yeah, it, Braxton it, who who looks like Lex Luthor <laughs> I, I, I could have swore that he looked like the actor um, Michael know, Rosenbaum. Michael Rosenbaum, yeah. Best Lex Luthor ever. Did you know, Nick, I was going to mention him. Did you know that he's from our area where we live? He's from Newburgh, oh. Indiana, and went to the That's high awesome. school that was a stone's throw from our campus. And mm-hmm. um, in fact, he came back here and made a movie, mm-hmm. uh, some movie nobody ever cared about. But our my secretary actually was the... Um, 
mm. uh, what do you call she, she uh, notary public for something that they had, yeah. and she's mentioned in the credits. So there's a little connection. And interestingly, for the world of apologetics, one of the actresses, Allison Mack, ended up yeah. as a part of um, the Nexium cult, that Nexium yeah. cult that was very popular. Mm -hmm. I just thought that's all I can say about yeah. uh, Smallville. Yeah, yeah that, that was very <laughs> odd for me also because before I came into my life, Allison Mack was my celebrity crutch <laughs> of the yeah, time. Right. I, I, hey, I like figures that were smart too, okay? Yeah. But, <clears throat> you know, Michael Rosenbaum as Lex Luthor, heck, my dad and I felt kind of guilty some in the first few seasons of the show because we were thinking, Gosh, I really like Lex. I mean, yeah. anyone would have wanted to have had a friend like Lex Luthor, and yet, yeah. you can, but yeah, that, that's the whole thing with obsessions. I mean, that's why I can pick up a video game I haven't played in years and still go through it like it's second nature yeah. to me. I just memorize all this stuff super easily, all these things I need to do. Well, uh, unfortunately, with my son, he's gotten into apologetics and theology, but uh, like a lot of us, and I remember at 17, I did this too. He's gotten into prophecy, and of course, I'm not, mm -hmm. a, dispens I'm not a dispensationalist. So even though I don't want to guide his interest, is there uh, – maybe nudge him away from that. I don't know. <laughs> it's always the temptation to say don't – don't. And, and no, I'm oh, that would be the worst thing ever if he became a dispensationalist. No, 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 no. no offense <laughs> to our dispensationalist friends, but but because if you get so fixated on it, there's a chance you can go off the deep end and end up like, you know, John Hagee or something. So, yeah, I used to be very fixated <clears throat> on prophecy, too. Today, I'm an Orthodox preterist. And yeah. Now I Amen. tell people, if there's any job I would like to have, really, it'd be to be a prophecy expert. It'd be an awesome position. You can get to write a book, be a foreknown expert, and Someone, everyone looks up to you in respects. You'll be asked to speak everywhere, get paid to speak. People buy your books for all best sales. You can be completely wrong in everything still, provably wrong, and you can repeat, repeat the same thing just a few years later, and people right. still call you an expert. It's such a great gig. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, but if you, if you want to do something, though, what you could consider maybe is getting something like a Zondervan's Counterpoints book yeah. with different views on prophecy and end times and things like that now when i married my wife she believed in the rapture and she also knew that i an orthodox preterist and sometimes we'd be driving together and she'd say well what do you think about such and such in relation to end times and i'd tell her and then she'd say well what do you think someone from my position would say and in this case Here's an important – I could have given an answer that made the position look really, really stupid very easily. I never did. I made sure to give what I thought would be the best answer from that position and let her make her own mind. Now yeah. she uh, she's not a preterist, but she doesn't believe in a rapture after her own research, and that's far better to me. I don't want her to believe something just because I believe it. I want her to take my opinion seriously, but, geez, I'm not infallible. I can make mistakes. Yeah, well, there's something when when you're also when you have a 17 year old son, uh, daddy doesn't know as much as as he does, and, and mm -hmm. it won't be until he's in his 20s or or 30s before he realizes I actually knew something. But 
you know, he's uh, he's also smarter than me about everything at, at 17. So there's mm -hmm. also that that little aspect. But yeah, I was I was kind of wanting to get because he right now he's reading uh, Mere Christianity uh, from yeah. C.S. Lewis. Um, mm -hmm. But then he goes and he watches. Um, uh, oh, I can't think of his name. Um, not a bad. No, no, he doesn't get into David Wood. People. It's David Jeremiah. Well, he loves David Wood for the Islam, so he's oh, really yeah. digging the Islam too. But uh, maybe it's David Jeremiah, one of those prophecy gurus that's that's popular. Um, but yeah, maybe I think that might have been it. Uh, but yeah, he just he just thinks it's super interesting, and and I, I guess when you're 17 and and you you like the idea of locusts being Apache helicopters raiding you know America or whatever. Uh, maybe that's all cool, but yeah, I need to I need to get him away from that. Nick, stuff. Nick, the only yes. thing I want to know about your wife's beliefs is does she affirm the virgin birth? Oh, she she does, but she refuses to say it like that because she doesn't want to placate me or anything. Yeah. But she said if it ever starts trending on Facebook, she will say it. So people make the dream come alive here, okay? <laughs> yeah. Let's get this baby trending. IATVB. Yeah, now she does she does get into some discussions of theology because I do remember mm. she she was active on that forum, uh, mm. uh, Theology Web, because that's where I first remember seeing her as well. I didn't even know that the two of y'all uh, knew each other until one of her pictures had both of y'all in it. Um, uh, but that that came, you know, that's where I kind of realized, because that's when I first figured out, and I didn't even know, because y'all used nicknames, uh, yours was uh, Apologia Nick. No, Apologia mm. Phoenix. Still is. Right? Still, Still is, is, yeah. And I can't remember what hers was. Um, Tudors, Tudors. Oh, yeah. And But I, I do remember that she would actually post in some of these conversations as well. So she, she's, she, she knows a thing or two about all this stuff as, and does have her own uh, views. She, so. she does. She, she's her own worst critic, even more so than I am. So, Nick, um, let's, let's get back to the issue at hand. So, um, yes. Please. When it comes to um, autism, um, obviously there's a lot that people who perhaps are on the spectrum could be inspired by what you've just said. I mean, even down yeah. to you being assertive enough about getting your own apartment and things, but certainly about going to Bible college and seminary and going mm -hmm. uh, against what everybody else said about public speaking and all these kind of things. Yeah. But um, uh, so let's go back to... Um, um, let's go back to uh, Justin Brierley's question. Yeah, uh, you said that beautifully. I thought that was really beautiful. What you said mm -hmm. about I don't suffer; suffering is a choice. Um, but uh, what, what? How do you explain if if someone did challenge you on this issue and say, "Okay, like you said, you are high functioning, but there are people who are not." Mm -hmm. And who yeah. really, really do have difficulties there? Um, yeah. Would you just run a, a typical theodicy or something? What What would you say in response? Everyone has difficulties. We all just have different difficulties. Difficulties of various kinds. And what might be difficult for you could be very easy for me, and what's very easy for me could be extremely difficult for you. We all just have to learn to deal with it. 
in our own ways. And one of the best things I've learned in my life, really, is aside from judgment, God doesn't owe me anything, not a single thing. I can't go to him and say, hey, you owe me this. Gosh, how presumptuous and arrogant that is. And if I realize that, that means everything he does allow me that's good in my life is a gift to me. And I should Amen. celebrate that gift. Now, you talked earlier about you know, difficulties some people have on the spectrum. Are there good things? Are there bad things? In all honesty, if it was announced today, I mean, everyone's looking for a cure for this coronavirus. If it was announced today, though, that a cure had just come out for autism and everyone can go get it free if they want to. And I, my wife would want to be one of the first ones in line because she thinks she didn't get the good stuff that can come from it. For me, I would say, nope, no thanks. I'm passing that up. I'm keeping my condition. Thank you very much. I like it. Well, that's awesome because, I, you know, one thing is you did get what you just described as the quote unquote good stuff. And that mm -hmm. is the ability at a young age to write out all of the books of the Bible spelled correctly and, yep. and in order. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, of course, you applied that to video games later. Um, but uh, but you, I'm sure that is very helpful in biblical scholarship yeah. and apologetics. But and, yep. and that answers the question I was going to ask. I was going to ask, what would you say? And this is kind of a reframing of what I've already asked. But what would you say to an atheist if an atheist said, yeah, some loving God you've got. If he wanted to, he could snap his fingers and there would be no more autism. And yet uh, there are so many people with autism today. Uh, sure sounds like your God loves everyone and cares for everyone. And it sounds mm -hmm. like your answer would be, yeah, because along with it sometimes comes the good stuff, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I refer to the passage in Romans 8, all things work together with good to those who love the Lord. In gaming terminology, I say this is the ultimate cheat code here. <laughs> tells you, if you love God, somehow everything will work out to your favor. Somehow, yeah. if you love God. Now, if you don't love the Lord, not a guarantee. But if you do... All things will work together for your good. That's a pretty good guarantee. Yeah. Now, and, now and, I do have one one question for you. Um, mm -hmm. One more question. Um, it's a church-related question. Um, what are your thoughts on what could a church, what, what do local churches need to do to have more of this kind of awareness? And what kind of things do they need to be mindful? I, I I'm not a big fan of, well, let's do a special program. No, don't do that. But what kinds of things do they need to be mindful of and aware of as they try to uh, incorporate more uh, adults, youth, mm -hmm. kids on, in the spectrum uh, that, who are on the spectrum to, some, to, any, to whatever degree? What do you mm -hmm. think churches need to be made aware of? What do you think they could do more in terms of outreach and mm -hmm. inclusion? Okay, one thing. Please eliminate church greeters. Oh my gosh, I can't stand seeing those people there every time. Look, it, in our world, unless we know you well, we are usually on guard a lot because you know we can't leave a social cue, so we don't know if this person means us good or evil. 
at all. Yeah. And usually our family is very black and white on that. If you come up and you are very exuberant and very friendly with us all of a sudden, we want to run for the hills. <laughs> we do not trust it. We hate it. And, you know, if someone came into your church and they were in a wheelchair, no one would challenge them to a foot race. That would be right. very rude. But we have an invisible condition hanging over us, and yet we're expected often to just be like everyone else. Where, no, that doesn't happen, at least not that easily. We have to work to overcome it. I can come up to you, and I might not look you in the eyes when I'm speaking to you, but that doesn't mean I'm trying to be rude or anything. It's just that's the way I function. Looking in the eyes is extremely difficult for me. A visit some of my own in-laws had to learn. Sometime after we got married, we'd come over and we'd visit sometimes, and they'd be talking to me, and I'd be playing on my 3DS or something or my phone, something like that, and I'd say, ah. He's not even listening to anything we say. And then I start repeating everything they said back to them. And they put to engage in a conversation all while playing my game. I said, well, he really is paying attention. He just, <laughs> for me, it's easier to do it if I multitask like that. Mm. And yeah. so I'd say, don't go with church greeters with us. If they're fine with some people, okay. But if you know we're coming in and you know we're on the spectrum, don't treat us, don't greet us with a greeters. Let us be our own person. Give us time to come forward on our own. And I definitely say, watch the kind of language you use in a church. Churches that use what I call Christianese really are going to drive us away, I think. Speaking in the church inside language that everyone's supposed to know. And Jimmy, many of these claims, I don't really pay attention to anyway. I, I really don't like people coming and say, well, geez, what do you think the Holy Spirit is telling you to do? And, <laughs> or if they ask, well, do you feel love of God in, in your life? Or what, how, what do you feel led to do? Oh, my gosh. At some churches, when they say, when they'd say, give Give him the offering as you feel led. Sometimes I'd be tempted to go in and publicly go up front and just publicly put in one penny and say, that's what I felt led to do <laughs> and see if they complain yeah. or not. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, the, the, the Christianese, Nick, um, we call it evangeli speak. <laughs> it's coined oh, yeah. by Jonathan Pritchett. Um, but yeah. uh, evangeli speak. Evangeli speak. Um, the, the, that can be a problem for people that are not on the spectrum. For instance, yeah. Uh, to, to people that don't know the evangeli speak or the Christianese, taking a bath in the blood of Jesus sounds like a terrifying and violent prospect. Yeah, and those of us on the spectrum, we tend to think liberalistically. You know, yes. I was talking with someone the other day about something they said, what needed to be done, and they said, 30 days. And my mind me thought, Oh, they mean 30 days. And he said, oh, wait, wait, I need to correct myself because I know how concrete you, you think. I just think this means just a long time, not exactly 30 days. And if you tell me you're going to be somewhere in 10 minutes, I expect you to be there in 10 minutes. I have my watch right. set. There was a time that I was calling Gary Habermas once, one talk with him about something when Irene and I, when Allie and I were dating, and he was telling us, and uh, 
in. How I was supposed to call at such and such time. He said, you know what? He hasn't called yet. He's late. And there goes the phone ringing <laughs> right then because I have my phone with me right here. And, it was, and that supposed time was 5.15. I was waiting. Then as soon as it said 5.15, boom, hit it. Don't call at 5.14. Don't call at 5.16. Call at 5.15. Well, this, and, this brings to my mind, Nick, a question. Um, maybe you've thought about this. It's just come to my mind right now. Uh, do you, as a person with uh, an interest in biblical um, scholarship, do, do, do you see any of the biblical authors or characters as potentially autistic? Mm, I've thought about that some. Paul could have been that what he did was timid face to face, but bold went away mm -hmm. and historically speaking i'm a big fan of thomas aquinas i think he was quite likely on the spectrum as well there's a story that he's at this party <clears throat> this feast and everyone around him is talking laughing cutting up he's just sitting there he's got his product resting his head on his chin just sitting there not saying a thing and what's going on and all of a sudden the sound breaks and he goes <coughs> hits the table and says immediately, and that will set of a manichees. <laughs> and everyone freezes immediately. And I've been told the king, whatever he says now, write it down. <laughs> and he, he also used to be made fun of by his classmates because he was known as the dumb ox by them because he was mm. so heavy. And... There was a story that apparently some of his classmates was, was saying, Hey, Thomas, look outside. There's a flying pig. And Thomas goes and he looks and he looks. And they say, Oh, look, Thomas, he's so dumb he believes a pig would fly. And, he, and how he, according to, supposedly he said, I would rather believe that a pig could fly that my fellow monks would love. Wow, they might I'd rather believe a pig would could fly than that my fellow monks would would lie to me. Is that what you said? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I, I think he was on the spectrum. But to get back also a little bit more about literalistic thinking here, <clears throat> I mean, I remember a lot of things growing up that my parents sometimes would talk about all these performers who are performing on Broadway, where not too far from our house maybe about 10 or 15 miles away, it was an area called Fountain City. The main road there was called Broadway. I'm wondering, why are all these people coming to that street to perform, and why don't I ever see them there? Or I used to think my dad was violating all those commercials because they always said, don't drink and drive, and well, here he has a coffee with him every time while he's driving. I mean, isn't that a <laughs> violation of the law there? And... Mm. Uh, I was a game show junkie, still am, even though I, I'm pretty sure if a death of cable game show was over, I'd sadly be coming to an end. <laughs> but I remember watching during summer vacation a commercial for a pain medication, and a guy gave him a talk saying, you know, listen to doctors. Doctors are adults, just like you and me. And I was thinking, I'm not an adult now. I'm a kid. Don't say that. Tick me off. But, I mean, those, that's the kind of literalistic thinking that we do. Everything is pretty much said in this wooden, literalistic way, and that's how we generally interpret things. Yeah. No, my son, no, he's the same way. In mm -hmm. fact, he, he gets accused of being a Pharisee. 
uh, yeah. is what they used to call him at his Christian school because oh, yeah. he wanted he wanted the rules to be followed, and mm-hmm. him more than the teacher uh, would call people out if they deviated. Oh yes, even a little bit, and so they they, they would call him the Pharisee because he was so legalistic over every uh, rule. Rules provide order <laughs> for us. We like things. Mm-hmm. We like to know how things are going to go. That uh, that way, uh, my parents got me watching Monk as well. And yes, before too long, I knew more about that series. And I can see a lot of myself in Adrian Monk, too. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading in one of the novels, because I read all the Monk novels, about how they had a can of Lysol at their place. A can that had Lysol wipes, and they used a Lysol wipe to clean off a can. I thought, makes perfect sense to me. Why not do that? <laughs> yeah. And so he went, I, I tend to be extremely that way, too. I'm extremely moralistic. I want to make sure I don't violate any moral codes. And if I'm on my computer, and we've all had this happen before, I'm sure, where you click something, and then something pops up, and it's something a guy should not be watching. And after I realize what it is, I turn it off immediately because I don't want that garbage, and I'll go to Allie, and I'll be acting like I've committed the unpardonable sin in front of her and say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, you're the only woman I want to look at, I'm so sorry, it was an accident, I didn't mean to, because I don't want to ever have to go through and check my browser history and think, geez, what was he looking at, and now she, she doesn't have those kinds of fears about me, I can be in my office all day long, and on my computer, and she's not going to be worried I'm looking at that stuff, because she knows I'm moralistic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, we've been at this for about an hour, and this has opened my eyes to some of the stuff that uh, mm-hmm. people on the spectrum yeah. um, encounter. Is there anything else that you think should be discussed or added to this, Nick? I mean, I'm sure there's. You know, we could we could spill an ocean of ink talking about what what uh, what it's like to experience this sort of a as you put it condition. But um, what what else do you think should definitely be said? One of the things about people on the spectrum as well is we tend to usually be very finicky eaters. If you've ever seen the movie Adam about a young man on the spectrum, he pretty much has mac and cheese every single meal. And that's not unheard of on the spectrum. Mm. And for me, it used to be that I'd go out to the store and I'd buy a tombstone pizza and I'd break into quarters and have a quarter every night for dinner. Now, my parents tried for decades, I mean, 25 years or so to get me to change my diet Doctors tried to do it. They tried to get my friends to change my diet, anything. I refused to budge one bit. Didn't want to, didn't have any desire to. Then I was married to Allie for less than a year, and then changes started to happen, and she didn't even have to push for them. I I don't know. I'm not sure if you guys have noticed, but women just seem to have this strange persuasive power over over us guys. It's quite an anomaly. But (laughs) with Harry in my life, I I really wanted to be a better person. 
that area. Now, one of the things I really want to get past as well is my extreme hydrophobia. I would love, I think, to be able to go swimming with me well, and I'm terrified of water, and so that's something I'm having to work on. And hopefully someday we'll get enough funding in so I could take really good lessons from someone really skilled who works with people with phobias. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, interesting um, uh, that your program is called Deeper Waters, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the irony is not lost on her either. <laughs> but my reference to it is just saying that, you know, I think in Christianity, we stay in the shallow end so often we never really go deep in our faith at all. And I want to encourage people to go deep. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, Nick, um, this has been a blast. And, uh, you know, there you're, you're a person that's in the apologetics world that more people need to know about. And um, mm -hmm. I encourage people, and perhaps I'll put it in the description of this video, your debate with Dan Barker. Um, I remember talking yeah. with you before you had that debate, and I just don't know how it could have gone any better than it went. Yeah, it, it, it's quite amusing to me, because this was my first debate, so I was really nervous going up there, which I, I honestly was wondering why, because I've debated people like Barker online for years. And Mike would tell you honestly that if it came to something like, say, Jesus mythicism, I'd be the better person to talk to in that area because most scholars don't bother with that. So there's all these weird, convoluted arguments that, we, that they, they've never, they don't look at because it's not a subject in the academy for debate. But I've had to deal with those. So I can say plenty of things about Jesus mythicism. So if Dan Barker had wanted to go there, I would have been more than ready. And like I said, I, you know, I was extremely nervous. And then the very day of, I was still nervous. But the moment I got up and started speaking, everything changed instantly. Yeah. yeah. And I was in the element, in the zone, in my game. And, and really, and in my world, pretty much games are an analogy for everything. And uh, I tell people, look, whatever arena I enter into, I play that game to win it. <laughs> I don't settle for for being less. I want to be the very best yes. at whatever it is I'm I doing. Always, I always tell those people in apologetics when they when they say well apologetics is not about winning arguments i'm like oh yeah it is it don't, is don't, yeah don't say that it's it may not just be about that but it's yep. uh, you know yeah it's about that, that kind of stuff and it, all at biola they used to tell us to always be winsome that gets on my nerves too i don't want yeah. to be winsome yeah to yeah. to uh to say to quote nt right apologetics is more than winning arguments but it is not less that's right there you go and as for the whole being winsome thing, no, I don't buy it. It was like, you look at the things Jesus and Paul said in the Bible, hardly you could call them winsome many times. Jesus was not a bundle of cheer when he said to the Pharisees, you're whitewashed tombs, you are a brood of vipers, you're sons of hell. <laughs> yeah, that's Right, he was, he was always...
he was engaged and challenged repose throughout the entire yep. Gospels and, and had no interest yep. in being polite. He had interest in wooing the, you know, getting the crowds to be amazed at, at how he would yep. uh, issue his repose to the challenges. So yep. uh, and pe people who... Paul, I mean, I think about one of my favorite lines in, Galat in Galatians when he talks about the circ circumcision crowd. He says, you know, as for them, I just wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Yeah. He That's says right. that. <laughs> you can't um, get around it. And my, yeah. my thinking with this is, you know, there are some people, and we see them online. We know who they are. They don't give a darn about truth, sadly. They have vendettas out there. They have an emotional argument against Christianity. They are not really asking questions to learn. They are asking questions to destroy. I have no delusions that they are very open to a conversation with me. So when I'm debating with them, am I trying to win them over to Jesus? No, I am not. I am trying to win over the audience that is watching that I do not see. And a strong show can do that. I want them to see people can be strong in their Christianity and not afraid and if that requires mockery and sarcasm on my part then so be it because you know what some positions are just stupid and need to be treated that way you do you do not honor them by doing that you don't honor a skeptic by coddling him and saying oh well that idea that jesus never existed that's a very interesting idea thank you for sharing no that is a ridiculous idea take care of it immediately and by the way i've actually done a debate on this topic okay, on the, the mind renewed program i debated ken humphreys who runs jesusneverexisted.com hmm. on this very topic so like i said i'm familiar with it and if if stepping on someone's toes is the only way i can give them to move to the gospel i will step on their toes as hard as i can a, a good book someone might want to read on this would be Doug Wilson's book, The Serrated Edge. I think it's called. It's about using sarcasm and satire in evangelism. Because, like, if you go and you read your Bible, you will see that in so many places. I mean, remember Elijah with the uh, with a prophet of Baal on Mount Carmel. You know, maybe you. God's on vacation. Maybe he's sitting on the toilet right now. Yeah. He's mocking them. And today we'd be told, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Where well, it certainly seemed to work for people in the Bible. <laughs> That's right. So the three things that we know about Nick Peters from this for sure is that not only does he, so number one, he affirms the virgin birth. And number two, which I do affirm, there are two, there are two types of people um, that, uh, that, uh, there are two types of people that you are not in favor of, and that are mythicists mm. and church greeters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Babin B. Ashby had a, a story once with new escape room made with being trapped in a room with church greeters. Oh, yes, that would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, listen, Nick, uh, it's been fun and uh, we're going to encourage people to get your books and we'll put links to those in the um, in the description as well as the video to uh, the Dan Barker debate and also your ministry links as well. Um, mm -hmm. So listen, we really appreciate you. I'm glad we did this and 
Um, glad, hopefully it will be helpful to uh, people with autism and parents of people with autism or spouses or friends or whatever else and churches. And we need to get rid of those. Great. Um, listen, we've been saying it for years. Some of us that the, there's not a big movement, but it is a grassroots movement to get rid of church greeters. And uh, if that's one thing people take away from this show today, I think we'll have done our job. Thanks so much, Nick. And listen, we'll uh, we'll we'll send these links around when they come out. But uh, Jonathan, anything to add before we go? No, I'm just glad that we had him on. I I, I would like to talk about other stuff. Him and I share an interest in and in, in a lot of the just the Greco-Roman culture and the back, oh, yeah. Bible backgrounds of the New Testament, and big fans of the old context group and all that stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to talk about that stuff on a on a different show, uh, you know, absolutely. Because uh, we're trying trying to get more people familiar with that so they can understand their Bibles better. So and honestly, honor and shame language—it's something yes. that really comes natural to us on the spectrum. I think because we constantly we're measuring people around us in the language of honor and shame and trustworthiness. That yeah, you build trust with us then we trust you but if you lose it you've lost it and we we are constantly monitoring people in that way and we're we're kind of immune to peer pressure in some ways because we don't really understand the whole thing anyway so i that wasn't much of a struggle for me growing up i mean i want to have a good reputation but you know, I, I I don't just have to fit in with everyone. I like being different. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nick Peters, folks, and we will have Nick back on. And listen, if you'd like to support what we're doing here on the show, we will continue doing this for free. But if mm-hmm. you would like to get some extra stuff, 28 lectures, uh, seminary level lectures on apologetics um, on a variety of subjects, I'm going to add a new series to that for patrons and um, as well as uh, videos on how we make our videos, all the stuff we use, all the software, all the gear. Um, you can visit us if you want to get that and extra episodes we've never done in free eBooks and rock music by Jonathan Bridget from his contemporary Christian music days. And you can get all of that at patreoncom slash Trinity radio. We thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on Trinity radio.